Hello, church. Welcome to the Midweek Bible Classes, where we study the New Testament in the order in which the books were written. And we really had several places we could have gone with this one, because at this particular point in history, there, uh, there's just a burst of writing. And not only from Paul, which are several options we could have gone to, but also Luke. Uh, Mark had already been written by this stage, but we saved Jesus stories for Sunday morning during worship, and then eventually we'll come and do those here, but that could be sometime uh, well in the future. So we decided to go with Philippians. Uh, Philippians is named after the city Philippi, which was a Greek city, uh, named after Philip II, King of Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia, by the way, if you don't know your geography very well, is just, just beside Greece, so you can find it very easily if you look it up. It was a special Roman city by this time that had received special favor by the emperor. So the people who lived there were considered um, uh, the same as citizens of Rome who lived in Italy. So they, were, they didn't have to pay any special taxes or tributes. They were looked upon as a higher status citizen than other cities. It was, uh, this was written, um, well, it was written after Paul had come through a couple of times. He founded the church, it seems, on his second missionary journey, and then he took a third missionary journey where he actually went through Philip, uh, Philippi twice. Uh, you can read some about this uh, starting in Acts 16. And you can also see, if you pay attention as you read Acts, where Luke was, because Luke is the author of Acts. And there are times working with Paul uh, that it, it is we and we and then he. And it comes back around after a while to we because Paul moves on, Luke's not in the same place. It's just fun to watch that kind of stuff. Paul was a prisoner. He was a prisoner in Rome. There are a couple of fringe theories that put him in Colossae or Ephesus, but in my survey of the literature, the vast majority say he was in Rome and I think that's exactly where he was. I think that there is a um, there is a tone here of the reality that he was facing and that he, what was he facing? Well, he was facing a trial and a Caesar verdict and whatever Caesar then would say, that's it. There's no appeal from that. So people are coming and going. He has some ability, although he's under house arrest to have many visitors. And one of those visitors comes from Philippi. And he comes on behalf of the Philippian church. And here comes Epaphroditus. And he brings all this gifts, these gifts to Paul. But then he becomes very, very ill. And for some reason, when news of this gets back to Philippi, there's something has gone wrong. And the Philippians evidently think Epaphroditus has done something wrong. Uh, either that made him become ill or maybe they didn't understand his illness and they thought he'd absconded with the funds and that's why he, he wasn't back. Regardless, Paul writes this letter and says, you know, he did a great job. You receive him really well. So I'd love to know more about that story, but Paul doesn't give us enough details to be certain about it at all. So it's the most personal of Paul's writings. Um, very, very open. He, he just opens his heart to them. And there are no strong rebukes in this book. And that's unusual for Paul, because he could find a rebuke in most places, but not here. 
So with him, as he writes this book, is Timothy. And he starts, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together uh, with all the overseers and deacons. The word overseers there um, is the word which is translated most commonly, uh, bishop. Those people who helped keep new believers moving and steady. Remember, they didn't have one congregation. They didn't have one church building. These people were scattered about the city. And so shepherds, bishops, um, presbyters, all of these words are interchangeable. Elder, all of them interchangeable in scripture. Uh, they, they did not hold secret meetings uh, and closed room meetings in a, in a room of a church somewhere. No, they, they moved. They moved about the city caring for the sheep. And whenever the sheep could gather, they would be there as well. And so overseer to us has this sound of a, um, almost like an American slave master cracking the whip over somebody. It could not be less than that here. It, it is something completely different. It is rather like the shepherd who's watching over the sheep, not to make sure the sheep don't make mistakes, not to make sure that the sheep behave. No, it's to make sure that the sheep are safe and no predators are coming in. So those who have authoritarian rule in their churches are not getting it from here. Although the word is an unfortunate translation. They should have just left it bishops uh, there, but instead overseer just brings a tinge of things that just aren't right for the first century. Because I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. At first blush, there's nothing terribly remarkable about this opening segment, but I, I would like to encourage you with something here. Because some of you might have felt that you were um, uh, you were baptized, you're part of a church, whether part of Our Safe Harbor Online, part of a local church, or both. We are, uh, we are a bolt-on for many people. They add us into their lives. But we are also the only church for uh, a couple of thousand out there that we know of. And we'd love to hear from more of you. Regardless, there can come a time where you can think, well, I'm, I'm just not doing anything for God. Paul says, I'm confident God's gonna do what God wants to do through you. He's gonna finish it. Christianity is not something to be found, restored, and held pristine, unchanged, and defend its borders. No, it's always been a movement. It's always been a changing thing. And so, although these people were Christian, brothers and sisters of Paul, he's very proud of them. He loved them dearly. He didn't think they were done that they were going to go, there are going to be changes. They're going to grow on and grow upward and do more and more, and that God would do that in them. So again, um, many of our young people have left our churches because to them it's a museum. It's irrelevant to anything that they do. Church, churches are not supposed to be museums. They are supposed to be movements. And so um, there you go, all right? It is right from, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Just, it's a very sweet thing. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. You know, sometimes we say love is blind. And frankly, I can remember in my dating days, uh, I can see it in other people's lives now that sometimes deaf, um, love can be deaf, dumb, blind, and stupid. But that's not what he's saying. He says, the more we get to know about God and each other, the more we're gonna love each other. I find that's true. There's, a, I mentioned him before. There's a, a young man on YouTube who's uh, Drew Binsky, B-I-N-S-K-Y. Uh, a very nice young Jewish man who has visited every nation on the planet, which is quite an impressive uh, feat. And you can follow that on YouTube as well, and it's worth doing. And he sells a t-shirt that he had, uh, of something he's learned on his journey, and he talks a lot about. And it says, we are all the same. It's very true, biologically, genetically. I mean, we, we, can, we can go into your genes and chromosomes and we can find all the differences, but we find mainly similarities. We are all the same. But he goes, he meant something even deeper. Everybody you meet is having a hard time. Everybody you meet has dreams and dreams that have died. Everybody you meet has, has moments of joy or they wish for them. And Paul's saying, let's get to know each other and the God or the Christ that is in each other and we're gonna love each other more. Depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. I, I find that wonderful, by the way. He doesn't say to them, um, you know, I've written the book, there are the books of laws, now you know exactly what to do. He says, you're gonna figure out what is best. Once again, Christianity is not a concrete block to be protected. It is a movement, it's a river. And so he goes, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out what's best. It's rather like at the end of the book of Romans, as we mentioned, whenever he mentions two women and he says, just agree with each other. He didn't tell them which one's right. He just says, just get along. Figure out what's best, go forward. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I guess just a reminder there, that anything good I do does not come from Patrick. Uh, Patrick knows Patrick and um, I'm not nearly as good a man as I wish I were. And that's not a fake humility. I, I try to be very honest about the fact that uh, I fight in my head all the time, trying to be Christian, trying to do right. And any good that I do, I'm quite aware that that came from Christ, not from me. Um, and there are those that will say, yes, but you made yourself available. Sure, okay, oh, all right, I'll take that. But so have you. I mean, look what you're doing. You're spending time listening to a Bible study online. You didn't have to do that. You can turn it off anytime you want to. Many of you give so that Cammie and I can stay in the house and eat and that uh, Misha can lead worship and that Dave can um, you know, run our, our cameras so that we can get to you. That's just amazing. And so you might not think that God's doing this great thing through you, but he is. And he will do more and more and more and more. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's he talking about here? Being imprisoned. Uh, the trial is ongoing as he writes these books. As a result, 
it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard, or some uh, old manuscripts say just um, whole palace, but other really old manuscripts say among the guards that work in the palace. So we don't know which is the original. And to everyone else, that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. They realize uh, these guards are now, he's saying, they know that I'm not in here because I've done wrong. They, they know that I'm not in here because I'm a bad man. They know that the, the charges against me are false. However, the way I treat them and the way I show Christ has really reached the entire area here. And those that aren't imprisoned are seeing what I'm doing in prison and they're getting more courageous to speak out. Yay. I mean, this is all very good. And, and you're going to get a lot of good news, a lot of lifting up out of Philippians. But this next bit, this next bit has um, amazed me and intrigued me ever since I was a boy. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Did you get, this is rather stark and uh, frightening almost. There are some people, he says, that are preaching because they love Jesus and they just want you to know about Jesus. But there were people who were preaching because they wanted Paul to suffer more. And so their sermons and the way they portrayed Christ and Paul were all shoved toward um, hurting Paul. Now, I'm not sure how they would have done that. Now, he also says that some of them were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. I understand that. I get that. Because there have always been charlatans who have um, preached as if they were great preachers of God, uh, men of God, whether they are popes or bishops or preachers or pastors or ministers, and they have been rapacious monsters. They have sexually um, taken advantage of or molested or raped. They have misused women. They have misused the money. They've misused the power that they gathered by preaching and people coming to, to believe in them and give them money thinking they were doing something good. Now, if when I'm talking like this, some, some names come to mind to you, I'm just gonna ask you to be very, very cautious because only God knows the heart. And I don't know this out or the other who might be a multimillionaire preacher. I don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. God knows we're gonna let God take care of that. But it's not only the big mega churches and you know, the guys in the, the uh, $15,000 suits. It is also, there, there are churches of 20 and 30 that have a man in charge of them that runs it with an iron rod and can do as he wish. Um, wishes. Paul says, I'm aware that there are people who use the name of Christ and who preach Christ with all of these different underlying evil ambitions. What's this? Verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, 
Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. So Paul didn't do a name and shame. He didn't, and there are times that Paul has to mention a name, but he really kind of goes out of his way not to, if you really look at it, he had so many opportunities to name names and just absolutely blast people. But he didn't do that very often. In fact, it's, it's relatively rare. When you take a look at the bulk of his writing and how few times he does that, he goes, not only am I happy, he continues, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Jesus was um, being tempted by Satan right after his baptism. Whenever he quoted to the devil, when the devil placed before him an offer, he said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Or in more modern parlance, you will not put God to the test. Paul never puts God to the test here. He never says, I claim that I'm, you know, I claim the promise that I'm going to be released, and I claim the promise that I'm going to be healed, and I claim, he never puts God on that marker, drawing a target around God, saying, now God, you're God, and you've made promises, and I'm claiming them. That always bothers me. Uh, you're stomping into the gates of heaven and demand to speak to the manager. I don't think it's going to go well for you. So what's going on here? Paul is just saying, you know, whatever God wants to do, he's going to do, and I trust that he won't, he won't let me be ashamed. Um, he's, he's going to treat me right. By the way, Paul believed that even when he knew he was under the death sentence later. He was okay, whether by life or by death. He goes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I've seen more and more of this as I get older because that's the way things go. The older you get, the more people you know that are now dead. And I've lost friends through COVID, but I've also lost friends to war. I've lost friends to um, only a couple to crime. I've lost friends to traffic accidents, cancer. You've lost friends too. And what do we say? You know, we, we hurt and we grieve and we cry, but we, we try to ease our pain a bit and, and, it, and it works it, to say, well, we believe that they're, they're with God now, that they're not in pain anymore, that these things, these promises of God are true. Well, Paul believed that too, and he's very, very firm about it. If I live, okay, and if I die, I really just gained. Then he, he goes on. It's, and by the way, this reminds me so much of, um, of Shakespeare, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to work. Uh, Paul just could not not work. And, and in fact, he even says, woe is to me if I preach not the gospel. I think he would actually explode if he couldn't talk about the good news because Paul needed the good news. Paul had been a great sinner and not realized it. He thought he was being a great follower of God when he was doing horrible things to Christians. Once he realized what was wrong, and of course Christ in that very dramatic moment on the road to Damascus sorted that out, Paul was a big fan of grace from then on. And he, and he goes, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this. And he goes, yet, yeah, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. In other words, you know, if it was just about me, I'm ready to go. But I want to hang around here to encourage you a little bit more so that your joy can be up where my joy is. I've had that prayer. I've said that prayer so many times. Uh, I will um, I'll hear of things or I'll see people in just terrible situations um, or I'll lose a friend, um, I'll hear of a war, I'll see starvation and I, I will, um, I'll talk to God and uh, you know, I'll hop in my car and on the way home going, you know, Father, I don't know how I'm, I'm gonna check out of this planet, but I, w- I don't want to go this way, this way, this way. If you are allowing me to make a choice, take me fast. Yeah, I don't say things like car accident because that might involve somebody else and it might give somebody else nightmares, even if it's a single car accident and they, they come upon it. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I wanna be able to go without harming somebody. So I said, you know, if you just turn my lights out, that, that, would, be a, that would be a gift. You know, I don't wanna linger here, linger there. And then I'll think, well, I know when I'm gone that these people will really miss me and these people will really hurt. But still, either way, God, it's up to you. I say that prayer a lot. I don't know about whether you do or not. Um, it's just, I guess, maybe part of my raising and, and part of my experiences. So he goes, whatever happens. It, so notice he's not saying, I will be with you. You can, you can you know, underline that, I claim this. And then it, no, he just goes, you know, that's what I want. But whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. Wait, what? You were with them there until that last sentence? Fair enough. Good points to you for paying attention. He goes, you know, I want you to be good. Remember to be good. Whether I get to come see you again or whether I only have to hear about you from far because I'm stuck here or I die or, or whatever, be Christian. Don't let anybody knock you off the Christian mark. Stay Christian. People, social media, politics, remain Christian. COVID, mask, taxes, war, remain Christian. All right, not easy, but we understand, don't we? We we understand the concept. And then he says, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but you'll be saved. What in the world is going on here? Well, put it simply, it is that no matter how much threshing they do and how much anger they show and how much they come against us, they can't control us. They can't decide for us what our behavior will be. 
we have already decided what our behavior is. We love God, we love our neighbor as ourselves. We even love our, our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and they don't get to change that. They will go yelling and screaming and angry and self-righteous and you know storming through and then realize it didn't change anything and then they die. But we stay who we are. Don't let anybody take away your Jesus. And Jesus doesn't need you to lay him aside so that you can go do something and you know to, to harm another. No. Keep your Jesus on. Stay Jesus. He goes, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Okay, there we go. Okay, hold on. He goes, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. It was already starting to be a, a little dangerous and difficult to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Now, over a year ago, uh, whenever we started our safe harbor, uh, I w did a series on Revelation that is still up there on our safe harbor on YouTube and on Vimeo. And um, you would, you might want to go back and look. And I talk in, in great length about how difficult it was for a Christian in the Roman Empire. Uh, every sporting event, every exchange of contracts, constantly the billboards of the day, the big poles with the totems and such on them, were all about Caesar is Lord. And you had to give offerings to the gods, kind of like in America, they sing the Star Spangled Banner. You would have to do offerings to the gods before the sports. And you, there would be breaks during the events to uh, praise the gods and praise Caesar as a god. And Christians couldn't do this. So they were already getting shoved out of jobs, out of trade guilds, out of polite society. They were losing status, um, losing the ability to own property, all of this. That was already beginning. And Paul was saying, you're going through what I've been going through, and I'm still going through it. We all understand this, but it's, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Well, how do you do that? Well, they had a different attitude towards suffering than we do. When we have suffering, we think it should stop. This is wrong. This is an aberration. Um, if it's physical pain, there should be a surgery. There should be a pill. There should be a technique. There should be a pose. There should be something. And if it is um, mental and emotional uh, suffering, absolutely get all the treatments you can. Absolutely get all the help you can. But if you're suffering for Christ, and make sure you're suffering for Christ, that you're not suffering for being a jerk that you're not suffering for being mean to people, that you really are suffering for Christ. A lot of people suffer for their church, but they're not suffering for Christ. So get your definition in there. If by doing good and loving others, you are being singled out and being punished, you are then becoming a martyr. And the word martyr means witness. Those who died, those who took the suffering on behalf of Jesus, stayed Christian. They didn't you know, knock the gladiator down, grab his sword and decapitate him. They stayed Christian. They sang hymns when the beast were released upon them. And I'm sure once they get, you know, let's not play here. They would have screamed and cried at the moment of pain. Of course they would have. 
but they didn't show any breakage. They were keeping their faith. That was a witness. If you don't realize how powerful that is, those of you who are not historians, I'm going to give you a challenge. Name 12 emperors. Okay, six. Okay, um, can you tell me five facts about Genghis Khan? Hmm. Get the point? All these people who thought they were the rulers of the universe, really don't even think of them. But you know the name Jesus. You've heard the name Christ. You see? The gentle, quiet, loving witness. That's, that survives. While the others are being destroyed, we keep true. In fact, now he's going to show you the ultimate example of this. And uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Now, by the way, the, the, there's a technique he's doing here. It's a linguistic oratorical technique. And it's to get you to, every time he says a phrase, you're going, well, of course we do. Well, of course we do. To get you really bought into it. And, and you should be. Uh, do you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, we could say. Do you have any comfort from the love of God? Well, yes, yes. Any fellowship with the Spirit? Yes, yes. Uh, any tenderness and compassion? And we're all going, well, of course, of course. He goes, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being, in, being one in spirit and in purpose. And here, sadly, I do need to step back for a moment and just bring up the fact that God's patience toward us is just phenomenal because people have taken the passages we've already read and tried to use them to divide, to attack Christians, and to rail against them while declaring they are the only ones who are right. There was a magazine put out for years and years and years called Contending for the Faith, whose main job was to name preachers in the same denomination and claim that they were foul and evil and heretic. I met the author of that several times. He was in our house. We, we, we also were around him in Scotland. Uh, and he was not Scottish, he, he's American. But he would go back and forth all over the world and just destroy other missionaries' works and then claim that the remnant he had that followed him were the only true Christians. And he wasn't alone. So many others were like him, and so many others are like him, and not just in that one denomination. You can find it in every, in every denomination. I have, um, I've met people, I don't know that I have friends, but I've met several people that were Roman Catholic who believe the Pope is a heretic because Latin Mass is all that there should be, and there should be chanting, and there could be the organ, but no guitars, no, I, no matter where you go, you will find these people that separate around and say, we're contending for the faith. Well, here it was all about loving even your enemies, not about dividing. And so when I was a boy, we would look at, at Philippians chapter two, that make my joy complete by being like-minded. The preachers were very firm. That means you've got to agree with us in all these doctrinal points. And there was quite a few of them. We had brochures out in the foyer called tracks uh, generally that had a whole list of proof verses that you had to believe 
or you weren't Christian. And it, end, it ended up, you know, this was not the purpose. All right, this is, I, I truly believe they, they all taught me this with a pure heart wanting to do what was right. So we're not making fun of them, we're not bashing them, but we have to speak of reality. And the reality is it ended up that it was more important what we believed about Jesus than how we lived for him. Now, again, that would have caused howls of, 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 of denial back in the day. But the fact was, we didn't really have to show love very much. To, we said, oh, we love you. But we didn't have to show love and zero fellowship with anybody who disagreed us on, uh, with us on anything because Paul said we're to be like-minded without checking the context. Like-minded about what? Love and being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. This might be a good place to, to bring up something I was taught very often, and people do this, and I understand this. They'll say, remember joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. God never says that. He says to love others as you love yourself. So it's Jesus and then everything else and everyone else. And here, he doesn't say, now have no ambition. He says, don't do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit or empty conceit. But rather, look to your own interest, but also look out for the interest of others. You see, God does not require you to uh, strip of yourself of all goods, give it all to somebody else and live out in ashes on the, on the roadside. Uh, he doesn't require this. It's all right to think, you know, we're, we're, my refrigerator's broken and they're really expensive, but I got to get one. That's okay. That's all right. Or I need to learn a trade or I want to become you know, a teacher or a doctor or something or an engineer and I'm going to have to pay this money to learn. Okay, be honorable, do a good job, pay it back, but it's okay to look after your own interest, but also remember to look for, after the interest of others. <coughs> so, what kind of standard are we being called to? Oh my goodness, you ready? Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Okay, there's a high bar. Oh, he's going to describe it. Excuse me. <coughs> who, being in very nature God, did not equality, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that horrible, horrible thing. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and underneath, uh, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's, how's this? Well, check the context. So Jesus did not walk around on earth saying, guys, I'm God, you should be serving me. Uh, I need you to bow before me. I need you to hit the dirt in front of me. I need you to say, sir, yes, sir. I need you, no. In fact, Jesus made a point of, of repeatingly in, uh, to the apostles, see, I'm washing your feet. See, I'm serving you. 
see and then going, this is what you do. This is how you serve. What did Jesus do? Well, he was God, but he did not grasp it. Hold on to it saying, I'm not giving it up. He let loose, descended, was made man, lived among us faithfully, obedient to the Father, just as he's asked us to do. And when he died, even though he could have gotten off that cross, because the scripture does say that it, you know, God will give his angels charge over you that you won't strike your foot on a stone. At any moment, Jesus could have stopped this. But he knew this was a plan. He was part of the plan. He understood the plan. Paul's saying, you do this? That's hard. But look what Jesus got. Now, God lifted him up, exalted him above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It's going to be hard down here. But let me do this as we close. We're going to stop and start next time at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, all right? Um, so we can keep this under 40 minutes, if, if at all possible. But I want, well, let me just do this little illustration for you. I don't know what kind of pain you have. Let's say you've got trigeminal neuralgia uh, or maybe migraines or back pain. What if your doctor came to you and said, we have a pill. It's a one-time thing. If you take it, whatever pain you've got is going to be 10 times worse for two weeks. It's going to be the nightmare of nightmares for two weeks. But after two weeks, you'll be completely healed. You will never have that pain again. Would you take the pill? Now I said two weeks, you might say two days, you might say a year, whatever. Most people, because I've actually asked this uh, to people in pain clinics before, just to see if I could understand their pain better. And I let them know we don't have a pill, but I'm just talking to them. Most people said yes. They go, they go very white, they go a little pale, a little shaky maybe, but they say yes. Paul saying, that may be the deal, that your time on this planet, loving others is gonna be as hard as Jesus's was. But compared to how long eternity is, this isn't long. Stay faithful, stay faithful. And nobody had the right to say that to them more than the apostle Paul, who was in prison and on trial for his life. And yet he said, keep Jesus, live Jesus, live Jesus. For me to live is Christ. To die, it's gain. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thank you, Patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Uh, remember to subscribe. And if you wish to give, we would love that. And you can find out more about that on rsafeharbor.com website. All right, bye. Have a great week.